Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. If you've got your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to mention John 14, 6, but we're really going to land in, in 1 Corinthians 15 here in a bit. Um, there was a time in our, in our country where Christians were the majority. But now religion is changing rapidly. Some would say that we've moved to a post-Christian era in America where, where sure, I mean, 70% of people would still say they're Christians, but only half of those would say they're, they're practicing Christians. And when you look at the practicing Christians, which I guess is more like a third of our population, two thirds would say, man, there was a time in my faith journey when I really struggled with some hard questions, when I really doubted my faith. And if you say, well, what, what about right now? 25% would say that time is current. Like I'm currently struggling. I currently have some questions that I just don't know what to do with. And if you zoom in to the demographic of 25 to 35 year olds, half of practicing Christians in that demographic say that they have questions that they don't know what to do with, questions that could be leading them to, to maybe even walking away from their faith. And so this summer we've done a series called Head On where we've said, I know that there are big questions being asked, not only on the outside of the church from people who are skeptics or doubters or or critics of the faith, but also within the church, people who show up every week, who sit in, in chairs or pews and worship could secretly be wrestling with some huge questions. They could be on the verge of saying, I'm just not sure if I'm gonna come back next week and maybe no one even knows. So we've committed this summer just to saying, let's wrestle, let's meet those those hard questions head on and, and not dodge them. And so we've covered some big things. Well, today we're wrapping up that series and we're gonna handle the question, is God too big for one religion? This is actually one of the biggest questions or biggest objections to Christianity is the, the claim of exclusivity. I mean, who are Christians to say that their truth is the one truth and that all these other religions are wrong? I mean, isn't that arrogant? And wouldn't it be easier just to say that, that all religions are basically on different paths, but we're, we're going towards the same destination? And, and so what do we do with that? Is, is that a true statement um, or is Christianity true? Are we arrogant? Should we make these exclusive claims to truth? And so we wanna wrestle with that question today. Is God too big for, for just one religion? Well, in John, t- John 14, six, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that claim is offensive. It's, it's something that's very controversial because he's made an exclusive claim to truth. There's one truth, there's one way to get to God, there's one way to heaven, and it's through knowing him as Lord and Savior. Now, people have a, a huge problem with that because it seems like you just said that the Mormon is wrong, that the Muslim is wrong, that the Hindu is wrong, that the fill in the blank is wrong. And, and who are you to say that, right? Well, a common response, a common response is people try to wrestle with, I mean, there are a lot of religions out there, is, a, is an illustration or a story about blind men and an elephant. This is actually huge in India. This is where it originated. And if you watch the movie Life of Pi, which I will go on record as saying that is a very well done movie. But the Life of Pi, um, this, this story I'm about to tell you that kind of set that up, 
is built on this false perception of enlightenment. This, this idea, this, this perception where people look at you and think, wow, they figured it out, but it's actually false, okay? So here's how the story goes. The story goes that there are blind men who stumbled upon an elephant. They find an elephant and the first one feels the trunk and the second one feels the leg, the third one feels the body. And as they're discussing amongst each other, what is an elephant like? The first one says, well, an elephant is long and flexible. To which the second who touched the leg said, no, no, you're wrong. An elephant is short and, and stiff. And, and the third one says, no, you're both wrong. I mean, it's not long and flexible or short and stiff. It, it, it's huge and immovable. It's like, it's like a wall. And so, and so the story goes, well, man, aren't they all kind of right? They all have a, a bit of the truth, a piece of the truth, but none of them have the, the whole truth. And so is this not how we should view religions? That, that religious people making claims like the Christian or the Muslim or the Jew, um, they're kind of like blind men with an elephant. Yeah, they, they all have bits and pieces of the truth, but none of them have the full truth. It's going to take all of them together to get a complete picture. And, and so it sounds comforting. That sounds cozy. That, that sounds non-confrontational. But philosophically, that has so many holes in it. And it's actually just as arrogant. It's actually just as exclusive as the claims of Christ to hold to that position. Let, let me explain. Um, the reason why people don't like exclusive claims, Christianity is right, Islam is wrong, and whatever religion claimed to be right, that they're wrong, is because they're saying, I've got the truth, the whole truth, and other people don't. And so they're like, that's an exclusive claim to truth. And no one can make that claim. No one can claim that they have the full truth. Well, if you're telling the story and you're, you're placing, well, the Christian felt the trunk, the, the Muslim felt the leg, and the Jewish person felt the body, and they're all blind, you know, what are you claiming? In telling the story, you're coming from a perspective of seeing the whole elephant. You're coming from a perspective of, if you're seeing the elephant, of, not being blind. In other words, you're coming from a perspective of having the whole truth, the truth which you told the story for the sake of saying that no one can have. So it just, it, it begins to crumble. That, that perspective of like, well, they all have a bit and piece of the truth. The only way you can make that claim is if you have the whole truth, if you can see the whole picture. And so at the end of the day, you're actually making an exclusive claim to truth by telling that story. So it's actually just as arrogant as a Christian saying that Jesus is the only way. All right, so I'll have to say the elephant story philosophically completely crumbles. But I'll say this, the heart behind it is good. The heart behind that story is, is for being inclusive. You want to say, you know, let your truth be your truth. Let their truth be their truth. Let my truth be my truth. Can't we all just get along? Uh, let's keep our religion private and, and let's not go out and try to convert other people. And if we could do that, then we could have a much more peaceful society because these religious exclusive claims is what causes so much division in the world, right? And so, and so like the heart to be inclusive. The, the heart to, to, to keep your religion private in a way that's, that's not divisive in society um, is just, it's, it's fool's gold. It's never gonna happen. Let me explain why. You see, religion is not just belief. It's not just like a set of beliefs that you hold to. Religion, right, whatever it is that you hold to, is, is actually answers to life's biggest questions. Right? So religion is not just a belief system you hold to, it's, it's answers to some of life's biggest questions. And, and some of those questions have to do with what's morally right 
and what's morally wrong, okay? And so with that being said, if, if you believe that um, racism or slavery, the oppression of women, if you believe that, that exploiting the poor, if you believe those things are morally wrong, chances are you're gonna fight against those things publicly. So you take beliefs that you cannot prove in a lab, right? You can't go through the scientific process with. You take beliefs that can't be proven in a lab and then you take those things public. So, so no one's religious beliefs are ever solely held in private. They always come public. And so this, this perception of this idea that we can just keep religion to ourselves, it's, it's not gonna happen because we all have beliefs that will come out in the way that we live our lives. Okay, well, what, why do Christians think their way is right? Okay, why do Christians think that their truth is, is the ultimate truth and that others are ultimately wrong? Well, let me, let me look at 1 Corinthians 15 real quick. Um, this will, this, and if, if you're like, if you just say you believe it because the Bible says, that's not what I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna talk about, about the Bible, all right, but that's not why I'm gonna build a case for why I believe Christianity is right. Okay, but let's read 1 Corinthians 15. Starting in verse 3, this is Paul, um, who converted to Christianity kind of later in life. Um, he actually started off his life killing Christians and, uh, and then had a radical experience, and he wrote most of the New Testament. And so Paul writes this. He says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. So he's like, hey, this is some of the most important things you can know as a Christian. So if you're a follower of Christ, these are verses you should have underlined. These are verses you should understand. These are verses that you need to know first importance, right? He says, I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's to Peter, and then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one ultimately born, he appeared also to me. All right, so let me explain. In these verses, we've got three components, right? We have Jesus's death. We have Jesus's burial, which points us to the empty tomb. And then we have Jesus's resurrection and eyewitnesses. Okay, so his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, right? His death, his burial, his resurrection. All right, now, these three components are accepted as historical facts. Okay, so we go, not just because of the Bible, but historians that were not Christians who were outside of Scripture would, would agree that Jesus actually lived. This dude was real. He wasn't some mythical character. Jesus was a real person and that he died um, on a Roman cross. People also believe that he, or historically would say that he was buried in the tomb, that they, they put him in a cave and rolled a stone against him. And they also would historically show that his followers claimed to have seen him after the fact. Like those are all historical facts that we're not debating. Those are just accepted historical facts. Okay, so Jesus' death. Um, one explanation that people make is like, well, maybe he didn't really die. Okay, people are like, well, maybe Jesus, he, yeah, sure, he, the tomb was empty, and sure, he appeared to people afterwards. And the reason he did is because he actually didn't die. And so, they, so you think about like Roman soldiers were really good at what they did. 
I mean, I'm talking, these guys are experts. And so if you think a, a pilot sitting in his chair next to his co-pilot and they're cross-checking each other, check, check. Um, road soldiers would have cross-checked each other, right? So legs broken, check. Okay, not breathing, check. Okay, have you put the spear into his side? Spear into his side, check. What came out? Blood and water, blood and water, check. Um, is he dead? He is dead, confirmed, check, check, check. Like they, they would have made sure that he was fully dead, okay? They were good at his job. And so this idea that he just fainted and then woke up three days later and was like, I feel good, just doesn't make sense. No one suffers the type of flogging and beating that he suffered. No one goes through crucifixion and lays naked on a cross for hours and has a spear driven through their side and then just wakes up three days later walking through walls like, peace be with you. Like, it's like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. No, no, like, like that just, that doesn't make sense. It, it, the only thing that makes sense is that Jesus truly did die because of the, the, the way that this would have been conducted. So we believe that Jesus' death was real. The next thing we have is the burial and the empty tomb. Like we know the tomb was empty, okay? Because if you could just produce a body, Christianity would have never gotten off the ground. And so the explanation people have is, okay, Jesus really did die, um, but someone must have stolen the body. And you have to ask the question like, okay, who would have stolen the body? Would have been the Jews? the Roman soldiers, maybe the disciples, and, and what would, would have been the motivation? And so, well, did Jews want Jesus dead or alive? Dead. So if they could produce a body showing that he was dead, they could have killed this movement. And so what would have been their motivation to, to make it seem like he rose again? Doesn't make sense. Roman soldiers, would they want Jesus dead or alive? Well, their job was on the line. Like, they, do they want to look bad at their job? No. So their motivation would be like, no, we got to produce a body to make sure people knew that he didn't just pass out. We want to make sure people knew that we're good. We're excellent at killing people. And so they had no motivation. And so the, the third group would be the disciples. People say, well, maybe the disciples did this. And it's like, I mean, they had so much invested in this. And, and so like, they didn't know what to do. So they kidnapped the body and then fabricated this story. And, uh, and so you're like, okay, well, people might die for a lie they believe is true. Like maybe someone led someone astray. They believe a lie, but they, they really believe it. And then they're willing to go, go to death for it. It's like, well, they, they died because they believed a lie, but people don't die for something they know is a lie. Like if you know it's a lie, are you really, you're not, they, they were just taking some drug that peacefully brought them into an afterlife. We're talking hung upside down, tarred, like hung, burned alive. We're talking excruciating deaths. Are people really going to give their life to that um, for something that they are 100% certain wasn't true? And what's crazy is people are like, well, they had too much at stake. Do you know who didn't have anything at stake? Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, and Jesus' half-brother, James, who was also mentioned in 1 Corinthians. These guys came to faith in Christ after Christianity got off the ground. And so why would these guys go towards something that was fabricated? Like, they, they, they had nothing at stake at the beginning, so why would they join in with this? And, and so it doesn't make sense that the disciples would have kidnapped Jesus' body either, or stolen Jesus' body. The thing that makes sense is that the tomb was empty because Jesus rose again. Well, the third thing is the resurrection and the eyewitnesses. 
um, we know that disciples had an experience, right? They, they had an experience with what they thought was the resurrected Christ. And so no one's doubting that they had an experience, but they, people are doubting or having questions about what kind of experience was it? You know, just because they had an experience doesn't mean it was real. Maybe it was a hallucination. Maybe it was a vision. And the problem with that is if you're hallucinating, people don't really share hallucinations. And if someone has a, a, a vision, we're talking about things that are happening in the mind, not out here. And so those are hallucinations and visions are private experiences, not public experiences. So how do you make sense of hundreds of people having the same vision um, at the same time in different places under different circumstances? That, that doesn't work with what we know of hallucination, hallucinations and visions. And so if you have Jesus' death, if you have an empty tomb, and if you have hundreds of people who claim to have seen Jesus and they're willing to give their lives for that claim, the question is, is, is what's one explanation that makes the most sense of all three of those historical facts? What's one explanation that makes most sense of those three historical facts? I would say the only explanation the only thing that does justice to all the things we know is that Jesus really did die and rise again from the dead. It's maybe you're like, I don't believe in miracles, um, but if Jesus was God, which is what he claimed to be, then it shouldn't be hard for us to accept that God could intervene and interfere with natural order, allowing a miracle like the resurrection to happen. And so all that to say is, is our faith isn't just a leap in the dark. Like, I just kind of hope I pick the right one. I guess we'll never know until we die. When we die, we find out who is right. Is it a bunch of, is it a bunch of Mormons or a bunch of Jews or a bunch of Muslims or a bunch of Christians up there in heaven? Like, we'll figure it out. It's like, no, no, we're not just leaping in the dark, keeping our fingers crossed. Our faith is backed by reason, right? And so I believe Christianity is true because it's historically based. Like all of the stuff in the New Testament was written close enough to the time of these events that it was testable. It wasn't one guy having an experience in a cave. It wasn't one guy having an experience in the woods and that person coming back and saying, trust me, this was a very public life, a public death, a public resurrection performed in front of hundreds and thousands of people that they saw and they could give witness to, which means that Christianity is able to be put to the test, which gives, and those tests gives us reason to believe that Jesus was real. Okay, so, so how do we wrap this up? Well, I'll just say this. No one devotes their life to debunking Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. No one's like, I'm going to be a scholar to show that Santa wasn't real. Yet, scholar upon scholar upon scholar have given their lives to proving Christianity wrong or for, to proving that Jesus is not who he said he was. And the truth is, is that every religion wants Jesus. Every religion, because it's historically rooted, because he really was real, every religion has to make sense of him. And so Jews would say, no, he, he lived, but he died and he stayed dead. Um, Muslims would say that he, he didn't die and go to heaven. He was just taken to heaven. 
that he was he was a sinless prophet. Um, you would have Jehovah Witnesses who would say he was a god but not the god. You would have Mormons who would believe that he was he was God's first creation, or, or you know, and so his first child, and and so like all these religions have claims of Jesus, but to say that they're all right, it just doesn't make sense. Like they they can't all be right. Only only one of these could be right about him, which means the rest would be wrong. All right, and so if Jesus wasn't God, if he wasn't who he said he was, he was either crazy or he was cruel. And he gave a message that has led millions upon millions of people to falsely believe they have a right standing with God. We don't call that person good, right? He would be a cruel man. Or he was who he said he was. And if Jesus was truly God, And if he truly died for our sins, then that means we need a savior. And that's what makes Christianity different than all other religions. Because all other monotheistic religions would say that there's God, there is something broken that's caused friction between us and God, and that we have to do something to make it right. There's a list of morals that we need to uphold. Do this, do this, do this. Here's a list of things that you're not supposed to do. And if you do enough good things that that outbalances your bad things, then you can have right standing with God. It's, It's all about what you can do. Christianity is the only religion that says, no, no, you're right, you're standing with God, is not from what you can do, is from what Jesus has done. That yes, sin entered the world and fractured our relationship with him, but God stepped into history to fix what we broke and to make a way for us to be right with him through all eternity. And that happened through Jesus's perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. Look, if you've never trusted in Jesus, here's what I know. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has put eternity in your heart. That means that there's this longing that you have, that you know that there's nothing in this world that's truly going to satisfy you. You can continue to give yourself to it, but if over a course of time, you'll eventually find yourself unsatisfied or bored and looking for something else. And and so there's an eternity-shaped hole in your heart that nothing can fill outside of knowing Christ. And the bad news is that we've all sinned against God. And the, what we deserve from that is to be eternally separated from him, to, to spend eternity in the presence of his justice and wrath and hell. And I know you might be thinking, like, that seems extreme because I'm a pretty good person. And you might think, like, like is God really going to send me to hell for coveting my neighbor's stuff? And, and it might seem like such a, a surface-level thing to covet your neighbor's stuff. But you get deeper, and to covet someone's stuff is to shake your fist at God and say, like, I don't, I don't think you've given me enough, and I'm not satisfied with the life that you've given. And it's to say that you aren't good to me like you, I, like I deserve. It's, it's to, to show a lack of, a complete lack of appreciation for every good thing he's given, every laughter that you've had, every, every taste that you've tasted, every experience in mountaintop high that you've had is to shake your fist and say, that's not enough and, and to, to claim that God's not good, to shake your fist at him and accuse him of that is is to commit high treason. That's just one thing amongst many. And so what we realize is that God requires perfection and, and we've all fallen short. We've all committed treason and because of that we deserve his wrath. But the good news is that Jesus stepped into history and said, I will live the perfect life they couldn't live on their behalf. I will take the wrath that they deserve upon myself at the cross and I will fully forgive it forever and always so that they can step into eternity and experience the fullness of God's love and grace. And that's being offered to you this morning. 
if you would trust that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you'd believe that he was who he said he was, that he died for your sins, that he rose again, and that he has made a way for you to know God. So I would love for you to trust Jesus this morning. Um, if, if you want to know him, if you want to give your life to him this morning, would you pray with me? Um, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if that's you, just, just say this prayer in your own words. God, I know that I have sinned against you. God, I believe that my sin has separated me from your love and grace, and that I deserve the fullness of your justice and wrath. But I also believe that Jesus is real. I believe that he came and lived a perfect life, that he died in my place, and that he rose again from the grave. And God, I trust what he did for my right standing with you. And I'll do the best I can for the rest of my life to live for you. I need your help. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, you have become my brother or my sister in Christ. And this is a lifelong journey that you're called to live with other people for. Like God's not just saving you from sin. He's saving you for eternity, and eternity starts now. And we'd love to walk with you in that. Um, you can fill out a Connect card. We've got that linked in this post. Or you can email us at info at redeemercommunity.com and say, hey, I'm following Jesus. And we'd love to follow up with you and help you to take some next steps. Hey, but God is good. I hope this series has been good for you. And just know if you're wrestling with hard questions, you're not alone. And there are answers and, and ways to wrestle well. But right now, um, for those who are trusting Christ, we're going to enter into a time of communion, a time of response, a time to remember the beauty of the cross, a time to remember the realness of Jesus. So if you've got some bread or something um, in a form of carb, uh, we know that these, this bread is a symbol of something greater. And we want to take this seriously, that Jesus gave his life for us. So remember that Jesus lived the life you couldn't live. And as you take a cup, um, a, a juice, wine, or, or remember this, this, this is a symbolic of Jesus' blood, which was spilt for you, which washes you clean, which means God doesn't hold any of your sin against you. And remember, remember today the realness of Christ. Remember the realness of what he has done for you. And let that be good news for you. We're going to move forward in worship, and then in a little bit, um, I want to invite you to take communion on your own. Hey, hopefully we'll see you next week as we start a brand new series in the book of Jonah. It's going to be good, and then after Jonah, we're going to talk about Daniel, so we've got some great things on the horizon. Hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.